Jesus name. All right. Welcome to Kowalski analysis, Paul Cole. Thanks for coming on, sir. No, it's fantastic being with you again, Rob. Yeah, definitely. My pleasure. I can't wait to dive into this conversation with you. Yeah, I can't wait to get analyzed. <laughs> so you're down in Texas? Yes, sir. Fort Worth area. I love it, man. Texas looks better to me every day. Yeah, well, it's looking good to a lot of people, especially if, from, if you're from the West Coast. Right. But they're going to yeah. bring all those, all those left, leftist policies with them. That's the thing. Well, you know, it's uh, people have, you know, people get stuck in certain ideas. And that's kind of why you do what you do with the podcast. And we get stuck in certain mindsets. And, you know, and we can move because it's a better place. But if you bring that same mindset, it's still you. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still going to end up with the same issues you had before. Exactly. Some I saw a meme or something on Instagram. It was like, if you're leaving a place because it's a certain way, don't try to recreate that place in the new place you go. You know, like, don't bring those same policies with you. Yeah, it's a famous uh, cartoon uh, cartoonist that uh, did Pogo for years who, who said, um, I've discovered the enemy and the enemy is us. Mm. And I think, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's what we talk about in our culture right now, Rob, and what we're looking at and the things that we should be concerned about. And I, I mentioned it a couple of days ago to some close friends. I said, you know, we have a lot of people now who are woke, but they're still not awake. Mm. The Bible says to wake up uh, those who are asleep. And so what, we, what you've got to start talking about is not just understanding issues and trying to solve them through government intervention. We've got to be awake to what the whole thing's really about, which is it's about uh, following Jesus Christ. Love it. About becoming alive from the inside out, not the outside in. The best we can do with government, Rob, is, is try to change guys from the outside in. And that's never worked. It doesn't work for radicals or rebels like you. It doesn't work for me growing up in a surfing community in the West Coast. You know, that never worked, right? You know, it's like the, uh, I, you're not old enough to remember, but I, there was a thing, there was a president, Ronald Reagan, and his wife, Nancy, started this thing called About Drugs. Just Say No. Just Say No, bro. Of course I remember that. Just Say No. It's like, yeah, that doesn't work. It's basically kind of like. Uh, just say no. <laughs> yeah, just say no. It's kind of like it's kind of like this. You can go do whatever you want to do on Saturday night as long as you show up at church on Sunday morning. That was kind of the code of the South. You know, whether you yeah. were Nazarene Baptist or whatever. If you showed up on Sunday, you balanced out everything you did Saturday night. Right. Lord, forgive me because I'm going to sin like a mofo this weekend. <laughs> You know, I'm just going to be a guy. And, and the fact is, what happens is we haven't come awake to what the adventure is of following Christ and doing what you do, Rob, where you go out and you help people. And, dude, that's what that's what radically changes us. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's kind of like the coming of Christ was like there's there was a, an old philosopher, maybe it was Aristotle or one of those guys, who said, know thyself, right? Then another guy came along and said, know others. And then Jesus basically trumped the whole thing by saying, know me, and you'll know yourself and others. Mm. That's so good. What was it like growing up? In, I, I was watching some videos of your dad earlier, and uh, saw him preaching in front of, like, stadiums of people. And, yeah. you know, I interviewed Tully and Chivijan a, a while back, and he was Billy Graham's grandson. And I was yeah. curious to see what his childhood was like, you know, growing up in that family. So what was it like for you? Well, 
his and mine would have been probably really different in some ways. You know, my dad was a local church pastor, and then this whole, uh, you know, he started writing books for men in 1977. That kind of launched a modern-day men's movement. He became the mentor to Coach McCartney and a lot of other men. And uh, so growing up with my dad at the time where he was a local church pastor was, frankly, there was a little bit of pressure, right? You're supposed to be the pastor's kid. So, uh, so there's that stuff that, that I dealt with and dealt with it really well. I just proved that I wasn't. <laughs> usually the pastor's kids are usually the wild ones. Yeah, they pretty much were. And, uh, and I think it's totally wrong. And I think basically what my dad... Uh, and later in life, we all talk about it. He had made the, the ministry his mistress. And so in so doing that, he had bought into a lie. And the lie of, it comes out of the Puritan background that settled most of um, the Western Hemisphere. And at least the Christian parts of it in that sense. And, and it was, you sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel, including your family. Mm. And that's BS. It's a total lie. And so, if you will, the enemy got people distracted, destroyed their heritage and their legacy. You think of uh, you think of some of the great men you, you even read about. Um, David Livingston, you know, goes across Africa, to, discovers, or he's the first white guy that saw, you know, the the falls there, you know, the Zambezi River and Victoria Falls and so forth. You know, discovered lots of stuff, did a lot of amazing things, but half his kids died there, which you know, it's going to happen, but the other half were jacked up. And so here he goes and does all this stuff. And I don't think that's the, uh, I don't think that's the rightfully ordered way of, of what we're supposed to be as followers of Christ. So I also don't think we're supposed to be these wussy little guys doing nothing, but, but um, kind of, Hey, you're kind of wrapping our kids up with these little soft gloves and going, Hey, I want to shield you from the world. You know, like I want to shield you, hold you in a little thing. And those guys get jacked up too. Yeah. I want to, Tolian totally said uh, that Billy wasn't around much. I guess his, I don't even remember what the the grandmother's name was. I don't, I don't, was it Ruth? Or yeah. Was Ruth? Yeah, Ruth Grandmother. Okay. Lots. So, so yeah, he was, he was not, he was not home much. I guess he was kind of, must have bought into that same yeah. belief. He did. Yeah. That's exactly what he did. And he put in his autobiography, um, which he wrote about, you know, he died, was in 99? About 15 years before he passed away, he wrote an autobiography just before his wife passed, Ruth. And he wrote in that thing, he said, uh, my biggest regret of doing all this ministry is I was away from home too long. And he said, I believe I could have done it differently. And my children have suffered because of that. And he felt like that was that his not fathering well in that sense was his biggest regret in life. Mm. And you think of all the millions of people who came and heard him speak. And I know guys who, who accepted Christ, became followers of Christ, watching the guy on television. Right. Wow. And then they became great writers and authors. And you'll meet guys today who were writing scripts in Hollywood who go, yeah, it was this, I watched this thing with this guy, Billy Graham. Wow. You know, and it tipped me over. So I think that, you know, Rob, I think that's, that's a massive thing, which is why I believe today the church is coming to new places in all of this, that the role of a father is not just to raise a good son, it's to raise another good father. Yeah. And that. the issue we have in our culture today, the biggest issue, and you've lived this, the biggest issue in our culture today 
is not uh, race. It's not, uh, you know, a lot of different things. We'd say, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. You got to go to the fundamental source of it. And it comes from fatherlessness. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into that. I, I, so I heard Andy Stanley talk recently, or I don't know if it was recently, but it was, it was a couple of years ago, but he had, when he was building North Point, I guess, you know, his marriage was starting to suffer because he was not home, uh, you know, yeah. much. And he asked his wife, what can he do? And she's like, if you could be home at about like five o'clock, you know, because that's really the time of maybe she was getting tired or the kids were getting home from school or whatever. And he was like, he, he, he's like, I did it. He left. He told, he's like, he told his leadership team. He's like, I feel lazy telling you this. He's like that. I'm, but I'm going to leave at four 30. And he's like, if the God of the universe, that he, the person that did all this, if he can't build the church on me working, you know, and he was getting up really early too, though. Um, but you know, this many hours, he's like, he's like, you have to cheat something, but I'm not going to cheat my family. That's what I heard. Yeah. Well, you know what, what happens to us and he's, he's a couple of years younger than me, but it's kind of our generation. We bought into this whole, you know, work ethic that was like, dude, I'm getting up. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, what's the face? The guy that the Rogan uh, buddy. Yeah. gets gets up and takes a shot of his watch every morning at four Oh three. Cause he's working out, you know, who is that? You know, oh shoot! What's the guy? He's got a health food drink. I thought he's. I think he's down your direction. Aubrey, anyway, not Aubrey Marcus, right? No. Okay. So, but you know, there's this whole thing of get up, crank it, uh, don't you know, don't back off, spend your whole self on this thing, and Andy Stanley and guys and all of us, we all bought into that, man. Yeah. And what happened to me, man? Let's talk parenting because we probably got. You know, parents that are listening, we've got single moms, single dads, guys trying to balance this stuff. And and the fact is in business, like if you're trying to make a business go, which which I did, I was in business most of my life. There are seasons. There's always seasons. There's seasons where you can't be there for stuff. But what I did, a couple things. One, I would always write down in my uh, calendar significant events. Like now I'm a grandfather, which is just unbelievable and great and like you know that i live this long you know you don't grow up and hate ashbury in, in san francisco and all that stuff thinking yeah yeah someday i'll be be older and have grandkids but here it is and it's fantastic but i write down like they've got school plays and they've got birthdays and i i take out my calendar and i use actually an analog thing i actually use paper Just fascinating and uh because it helps me see everything better than the digital and so I look at it and I put down all their dates. I get a calendar like in October, you know, for the following year or September. And then I write down all their stuff. And then here's the second thing. I'll give you this. This is, this is huge. I just had a, uh, just talking with a dad, a very, very successful guy, big, big company. And I told him, I said, you know, don't decompress when you come home, decompress before you come home. So the whole thing about Andy coming home at five, four 30, whatever, is that he would, he would, and I heard him talk about it. He would decompress before he got there. The minute you walk in the door, you belong to those kids. Mm. If you walk in the door and you tell them, hey, I need a half hour back off. They don't know that. They don't understand that. And they've been spending, you know, let's say you get out of school at three o'clock or something. And let's say you show up at six. Well, they've spent all this time with you not there. And the minute you're there, man, it's like, yo, he's here. This is awesome. And what you don't want is to be like, 
you know, Bill Burr, guys like that, who said when they heard dad come in the driveway, they went, oh, no, he's home. Yeah. You don't want to be that guy. So you, so you decompress, stop and get a drink, whatever you need to do, do something, hang out with somebody, watch a short, watch a Rob Kowalski video, listen to a podcast. <laughs> come on, somebody. I, I and, love, yeah. And then, and decompress. And then when the minute you walk in the door, and, and my wife has told me a number of times, we've talked about it. She said, the best thing you ever did was when you showed up at home, you belonged to our kids. Because I traveled a lot. Our business was um, multinational. And we built it from scratch. And so it took a lot of time, a lot of effort. But man, the minute I showed up, those guys, my two boys would jump off the second landing over the stairs in our house, jump on top of me. I mean, and, and my daughter would be there with a, some kind of paper or something or dad, dad, or she was a gymnast cheerleader and show up with some sort of deal. But I think that's a big thing right there. And here's the other thing. Let me just put something right in there, Rob, for you and me as men. There's a man thing right here. And it's a woman thing, too, for anybody listening right now. And, and it's this question. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to kind of put you out there. OK, Rob. Sure. OK. How old is God? Uh, well, he exists outside of time. I'm okay. Infinite. Ancient, ancient of days. Ancient of days. How old is he in your brain? Not okay, in other words, <laughs> not that old. Okay, we think in images. Yeah, you think in you think in like a grandfather, I guess. Yeah, it's like like a guy with a long white beard, hair's blowing in the wind, he's got a big stick, you know. Right. Yeah. Anytime he sees something wrong, it's like wearing a bathrobe with a little sash across it. <laughs> Anytime he sees something wrong, he's going, boom, pops you. And what if, what if, what if God's actually the same age that Jesus was when he left? What if he's 33? Mm. What if he's a 33-year-old, uh, like Jesus had rough hands. He was a stonemason, right? What, you know, probably, so like he worked out like you have, you know, up until he was 30. He's lifting stuff. He's doing stuff. He's got rough hands. He's probably cut, Right. And what if he's a 30, what if God, the father is a 33 year old dad, how would that change the way you would ask him stuff? That's so cool. How would that change the way you would adventure with him? Right? Yeah. How would that change the way you actually talk to other people about, Hey, I've got this relationship with God and he's like personal. Right. You know, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I've had to do in my life is reframe some of that stuff from my past because my, my, I grew up in a church and religious and, you know, uh, every, about every six months I would have to get saved again because, you know, it's surfing and had long hair and somebody in the church would be real concerned about me. And so I'd get saved again. You know, <laughs> I just, you know, they always come up. Whenever there were youth conventions, it was always me and my buddies. There'd always be four or five people make a beeline for us, you know, like, oh, those guys, yeah, we're gonna get them saved. And like, we're all pastors' kids, you know. So, <laughs> but we would play along. It was kind of fun. But what if he's what if he's that? What if he's like vibrant and viral and strong? And like you're talking to him and, and you go, Hey, father, you know, here's here's what I'm dealing with. And he's like, I can handle that. I'm dealing with my singleness. I can handle that. I'm dealing with my sexuality. I can handle that. I'm dealing with my, uh, you know, my questions about purpose. I can handle that. That's why, you know, that's why Jesus was there. That's so good. Right? 
And now all of a sudden I've got this world framed by our father doesn't mean the guy who bailed on me, who, who beat me up, who beat my mom up, who uh, wasn't there, who maybe he was an okay guy and showed up, but he still wasn't there. You know, he wasn't present. Maybe when I pray our father, maybe when Jesus told us to do that, maybe he really meant, I want to invite you into my world. Yeah, pretty cool. You guys are just tuning in. I'm talking to Paul Lewis Cole. He's a doctor of theology. I actually had to look that up, Paul. He's a noted speaker, a pastor, and author, uh, and he's a, one of the world's foremost experts on men's issues, and it's a going to be even more of a fascinating conversation but what i really like about you paul is you 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 keep it real even what you just said you're like if you need to go grab a drink grab a drink before you go home you know like when we were on our podcast you were you know the guy's church was named stones and then people thought oh yeah, was, yeah. and it was just like no like you're just a normal guy you're you're That's cool. my buddy joel brooks up in kalamazoo he renamed his church stones yeah i just feel like if more <laughs> christians were like you you know, or, you know, and just came off kind of normal. Um, I feel like this caricature of, of Jesus that people reject, um, yeah. it, it wouldn't be that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, the thing is, we are the normal. You know, we're the true counterculture. You want to be a radical, be a follower of Christ. That'll make you the most radical person of any group you're in. You want to be out there. You want to be a person that doesn't like go with the flow. I mean, right. I love these. I love people who are like, uh, yeah, I'm. I stand for myself. I'm an independent thinker. Uh, I I don't go with anybody else. And then they all wear black. <laughs> no, you're right. It's like even if you look at people like uh, Cardi B now, or uh, yeah. what's the girl's name um, that was in uh, the, song, the movie with Bradley Cooper. I can't think of her name. Oh, dude, I can't. I can't. You mean Lady Gaga? Lady Gaga, yeah. Are they, oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody, okay, I've, that's probably the first movie person I've actually gotten. I can't remember movies, man. I go, you know, I was in that business. I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, they want to be different, but they act the way that everybody else acts. You know, Miley yeah. Cyrus. They all act the same way. You're right. If you want to be different, be a radical. Be radically sold out for Jesus. It'll make you stand out. I know because people are like, for me, just because I'm a guy that's not having sex, you know, I'm committed to waiting until marriage. It makes me really stand out. It's sad that that's all I have to do. But like when I was in, you know, in another country, I went to Romania for a book tour. Just the fact that I was an American that was waiting to have sex, like the news people wanted to talk to me. It's, it's, wow. kind, of, it's kind of sad that that's came to that. But I heard a quote from your dad actually uh, earlier today, and I, I wrote it down because I thought it was good. And he said, man, manhood and Christ likeness are synonymous. And I was like, yeah. that's such an important statement for men to understand. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you know, here it is. It's it's like um, to be a real man is to be more like Jesus Christ. To be a real woman is to be more like Jesus Christ. In other words, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. I think too often we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, you know, in like, hey, we want people to be healed or we want, you know, certain things to happen in a real uh, dramatic divine way. I think uh, one of the most powerful things you can be to other people is kind. I think the fruit of the spirit needs to be in more lives. What was the, what was the, was it Brendan Manning? I think who said not, and I'll butcher the quote, you know, he's a genius writer, but he said something along the lines of when Christians go to church and then come out and live a totally d different life, 
uh, it becomes unbelievably unbelievable yeah. to other people because your life should be what you talk about on Sundays. And frankly, Rob, we should be talking about on Sundays or Saturday night or Tuesday night if you're at the Belonging in Nashville or wherever you're at. You, we should be talking about stuff in those places that are things we all deal with. Yeah. You know, like like sexuality and, and uh, you know, dealing with, you know, food deserts and, and poverty. And there shouldn't be on a Navajo reservation in uh, Arizona, New Mexico. And, and they've had 26 pastors, just pastors die of COVID. They've had an unbelievable, it's the highest death rate of any place of culture in the United States, just speaking of North America. Uh, and, and I asked the, the vice president, is a man that I know, the vice president of the tribe, Navajo tribe. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, and he gave me a couple of intergenerational living, uh, a couple other things. And he said, but, but one of the biggest things is 34% of our tribe doesn't have running water. Wow. Now think about this, dude. We're sending $10 billion to some other country for gender studies, and we can't go to the Navajo reservation and just be kind and be good people. That doesn't take any kind of like that. That doesn't take wisdom. Right. It's just common sense. You don't need to be, it's not, as they say in Canada, rocket surgery. You know, it's just like, dude, we, those are the things we should do. And as Christians, that's what we should champion that and you know what that would make you that would make you a big radical and you know what that would be that would be attractive yeah. that would be attractive because what i don't want to do is go sit in a church and be a nice little wussy church boy singing kumbaya with a bunch of guys that i would never go to a fight with yeah in other words i would never ask turn to this guy in church and go hey dude i got to like, I got a major thing tomorrow. Can you back me up? Right? I want some guys who have stones. I want some men who are men. And I want a man who's consistent and decisive and strong. And that's what God wants in men. And you know what else, Rob? That's what every woman wants in a man. You're right. Women aren't attracted to a, a, a passive feminine man. They're not. Yeah. But but also, like, the deal is uh, I've got some uh, friends who have uh, daughters, beautiful girls that that uh, different cities, different places, but all of them with the same issue is I can't find a guy that that's, you know, that I want to date, that I want him to be the father of my children, that I want him to be, you know, connected with him. Because, and here's the deal: if we're talking about, if we're talking about being consistent, Rob, you know what that means? That means if you talk about on Sunday, or you're in church, or we're in some kind of thing with some people, and you talk about your beliefs and faith and core values. And then, you know, at one in the morning on a Friday night, you're trying to talk me into having sex with you. Right. You know, through I'm manipulative like, yeah. means. Like, yeah, go ahead, Paul. That's just inconsistent. Yeah, I want to talk about that because you said being kind earlier and, and something like something hit me, you know, like mm -hmm. it stung actually because I'm not always kind and I want to be. And, I, and I'm like, you know, for whatever reason, I just was thinking – Maybe, you know, if we do you think it's because we're not like, I know you're supposed to judge those within the church. The Bible, that's what Paul says. He says, who am I to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? A lot of Christians don't know that. They say, it's you're not supposed to judge me. Only God can judge. So I'm wondering if, if the reason why 
Christians don't act the way they should outside the church. Because I have friends, I know guys that are Christians that are sexually immoral. And the word says, don't even eat with them, right? Now, I don't do that. Should I do that? Because I struggle with that myself. Like, you know, like the word says not to. Maybe if we lift it up and we really held people to that standard where we're like, hey, look, you know, I'm not even, you know, don't, I'm not going to eat with you because you're, you're professing to be a believer, but then you're out there trying to get laid. Like, yeah. do we do that? Okay. All right. Well, okay. So Jesus gets accused of doing that though, right? Like he, he gets accused and he's guilty of hanging out with sinners, but he talks to them about their stuff. Right. So the whole do not eat with them. You know, this is basically Paul. You're talking about Corinth. You know, he had to write, I mean, <laughs> This is the deal. We, do, we Sometimes, Rob, we just don't have enough grace for people. And you think about Paul, and he starts his church in Corinth, right? And he lives there for a while, and, he, and he, a bunch of people become followers of Christ, and then he goes away. And then he has to write letters back going, hey, don't do this, do this. Or like Galatia, which is another place. And he writes them back letters going, hey, when you guys do communion, you shouldn't be getting drunk. You know? <laughs> or, or make sure that your guests have the bread before you get it and eat it all. And the one in Corinth is hilarious because it's like, dude, you guys, you know, it's not right for a guy to marry his mom. Okay. This is, this is, you know, some of this stuff. That, and so uh, I think some of this for some of us who don't have a background in any kind of moral, like if you, like if you saw the movie or read the book, I read the book when it came out, Hillbilly Elegy, right? Um best-selling book, all this stuff, talking about this guy growing up with the background in the, in the haulers of Kentucky and so forth. I mean, he didn't grow up with any kind of moral stuff. The moral, the more their moral code was essentially Darwinian in terms of, you know, wherever the strongest are going to survive, and then we're going to help those other ones who are strong. We're all going to stick together. And uh, coming back to this thing, I, I uh, you know, kindness, to be kind, I think sometimes it's sort of like um, uh, you have to write it down somewhere. Maybe you ought to just get like, I don't know, uh, like when you're driving, do you drive like left-handed or right-handed? Uh, mostly. Right-hand on top, left-hand on top? I think left. Actually, I don't know. Okay. 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 Let's say it's left-hand. So right there on your left hand, right there, just get some ink. Just get a tattoo that says kindness. <laughs> you know, right. my, we, my dad one day had a guy, young guy, and he goes, man, I'm just, I can't keep, I, I'm trying to live right. I know the scriptures, but I keep having sex with my girlfriend. And my dad said, uh, said, well, here's the scripture, gave him the scripture. And he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write that on your shorts, <laughs> write that in your underwear. Kindness. Yeah. Write that in your underwear. So that when you come to that moment, you go, oh, yeah, that's what I'm standing for. No, it wasn't kindness. This is just not having sex with his girlfriend. <laughs> you know, so the thing about not eating with somebody who's who's doing that, I think people judge themselves. I think somebody will ghost you faster when they know that every time they're going to hang with you, you're just going to stand for righteousness. So when it talks about judging others in the in the second covenant, you know, it, it really is talking about the standard you raise. Actually, people are going to look at it and go, I, I, I can't do that. I go, yeah, you need Jesus to do this. And so the standard you raise will actually ghost people out of your life anyway. You know, in that sense, 
Rob, I think, I think I would hang with some guys longer than I would probably think was probably right. Just because I believe in grace. Right. Okay. I was just checking because I'm like, maybe that's why the, uh, maybe I need more people like calling me out. Maybe, you know, like letting me know about my sin You know, like, Hey bud, uh, what you just said there, wasn't very Christ-like, you know? Like, know but, oh. Yeah. 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 I don't know. You pray, right? You pray every morning. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, you read your Bible. Yeah. That's basically usually the call out for me right there, man. Yeah. Like, like I'm praying, Hey father, help my day to day. And it'd be like, Hey, what about, you know, uh, those thoughts you had yesterday about that guy? Or what about, you know, like you're coveting this car to just drop that thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to put 22s on my car, you know, whatever. You know, just stuff is like, you know, it's just so when you really stand back and look at it, it's just meaningless. Yeah. But man, that can grab a hold of us at four o'clock in the afternoon sometimes. And I think I don't need a buddy to call me out on that. I don't need to go to a guy and go, hey, man, been coveting, you know, your rifle. Um I, I think it's more like uh, in my real quiet times with the father. I think he's he's pretty gentle about it. And he goes, hey, what about this stuff? I go, I oh, know that was crap. Sorry. And I think he's pretty much like that 33-year-old dad goes, okay, cool. Are we good now? Okay, I'm good. I repent. Ask you to forgive me. Bible says that when, when our sins are forgiven, they're, they're separated from us as far as the east is from the west. You know, if you go north, you go south. If you go south, you end up going north. The east and west never meet. So, so the forgiveness of God, you know, the biggest issue is us forgiving ourselves. You know, we remember stuff so easily, man. And I think the washing of the water of the word and power of the Holy Spirit helps us. I mean, you've had to experience that yourself, Rob, right? Baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, but no, I'm just saying, you know, you had stuff in your life that if you go back and you keep bringing it up, it'd be like picking at a scab. You, sure. you, it'd never heal. Yeah. Yeah, right. So I think that, that for a lot of us, we have to say, hey, forgive me, and then practice forgiving ourselves, and then actually believe God. If you, if you ask God to forgive you of stuff, and then you go, well, I don't know, I'm still pretty screwed up, you're basically saying, I don't trust God. Right. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about that the other day. They're like, well, I don't feel this way. You know, like, you, you got to stand on God's word, because feelings aren't facts. You know, if God says it about you, it's true. It's not a, what, what you feel or what you think. We all have issues, man. Here's the thing that I know, because I know there's guys like David. You know, David in Acts chapter 13 in the second covenant talks about David being this awesome man. We name our kids David because this guy was like, he was a stud. Of course, that was part of his problem. <laughs> but here's a guy that killed his best friend to get his wife. Uh I mean, he did a bunch of just screwed up stuff. And yet, and yet what he did is he, he would consistently, if you read the book of Psalms that he wrote, he wrote about 90% of them. And it's over and over, he's repenting for stuff, you know, over and over he's going, hey, you know what? I messed up on this. I missed it. And, and so God comes in and says, this guy was awesome. This guy you ought to name your kids after. You know, really? Like he was, he had sexual addictions as, whole life he had all kinds of stuff and and i'm gonna name like yeah why because he consistently repented and here's the deal here's the key 
So I'm not defined by the things I struggle with. I'm defined, Rob, by the fact I'm a passionate pursuer of the pleasure of God's presence. That's what defines me as a man or a woman. I'm not defined by that stuff. I'm defined by who Christ is in me. And that's why people should become followers of Christ, because that gives you an identity you can find no other place and a definition that'll totally rework your framework for making decisions and your, what your destiny becomes. Identity, purpose, and brotherhood, man. Community. That's what Christ gives us. I actually heard you say that in a video I watched earlier when I was preparing for this. So let's talk about fatherhood a little bit. I know that you're really passionate about that subject. And, um, you know, I've read uh, some, some studies, probably not nearly as many as you, on, you know, some of the statistics of, of kids raised in single-parent homes. But why is it important for a child to have a father? Both parents. Let's you know, yeah, Warren Farrell, a friend of mine, wrote a great book with John Gray, the psychologist, and uh, it's called The Boy Crisis. And they talk about basically the coming crisis in America, and they're talking North America, but basically the whole world, same stuff. Everywhere, I've, I've been to 86 countries, same issues, same stuff. Um, fatherlessness is a leading indicator of poverty in every culture in the world. Fatherlessness is a leading indicator of suicide rates and so forth and so on. And I think most of us know there's some kind of crisis and we know there's stuff going on or we've experienced it. And uh, Warren said something really fascinating. We talk about the need for a father. I think, first of all, the need for a father is somebody has to provide the seed. <laughs> I mean, try to get right down to it. There's that. Yeah, there's that. But I think uh, Warren Farrell said something. I, we were talking one day and he said, uh, you know what one of the most important things for a young boy and a young girl is? I said, what? He said, wrestling with their dad. I said, what? He goes, wrestling with their dad. He says, there's, there's an intimacy of touch. They're, they learn boundaries because one, the, the little boy reaches up and hits his sister in the face and dad goes, nope, time out. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't do that. That's not how, that's not our identity. It's not who we are. And, and I begin to think about that. About, man, what a simple little thing. And if you will, that's the beauty of a 33-year-old dad, God the Father, because he wrestles with us, with our stuff. And he's willing to do that. So when you talk about the importance of a father, a father provides identity, security. A father provides uh, a good name. Um, a father provides uh, love and uh, discipline. You know, I think the, the thing that it's kind of been hammered on people sometimes where uh, a mother would say, hey, wait till your dad gets home, you know, you're toast. But the fact is, is that a true father, a good father will discipline his children and a good father disciplines his children never out of anger, always out of love. Discipline that comes out of love is discipline that builds a person's life. Discipline that comes out of anger is a, is a, is a discipline that tears people down. And I can, I can introduce you to hundreds of men that I've met over the years who will say, yeah, my dad beat up you know, my brother and me, this and this happened. I've got one really good friend who uh, <laughs> basically got banned from the house when he was 13. So he lived in a tent in the woods next to the house. 13, bro. 
you know, it, and, and the interesting thing now is, of course, he's, he married a psychologist and he's, he's an amazing dad, but he still deals with some of this stuff that happened. He's like 60 years old. He's still dealing with, or late 50s, still dealing with some of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Dads are really important to uh, our framework and they're important to help us uh, identify who we are. And moms, you know, single moms, that's why single moms need to be in a church. Uh, they need to be in places where, and then that's why, Rob, coming back to this, to men, you know, don't be a jerk, man. You know, if you got single moms, in, <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little stout, sorry, but I deal with guys all the time and I'm like, dude, just, you know, that single mom is not there for you to be a predator. She's there to, for you to be a protector. Yeah. That, that little girl and that little boy, they need you coming up on the weekend and saying, hey, da, da, you know, hey, you're an awesome young man. And then when she says, I need somebody to go shoot baskets with my son, you and a buddy of yours go, yeah, you know, between us, we'll get this done. Yeah. Right. I've got a, I got a friend of mine who runs a, uh, it's a after school program in, um, in the Dallas area, remarkable results of how it's totally transformed the lives of young men and women. The average young man in junior high in Dallas, 84% of the young men in the, in the um, Dallas Independent School District in seventh and eighth grade have no father figure in the home. What percentage? 84%. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So now what he does is an after school program. And I mean, the results over the last 10 years, you've got guys, I mean, guys going to further in education, guys who stayed in high school, who were on their way out, all kinds of radical changes. The people, here's the deal. Check this out. It's called uh, Men of Honor. And he has volunteers who take time and he's got a whole training thing and they spend time with these young men. And I said, well, how much time did, does a guy have to give to this? He said, one hour a week. I'm like, dude, are you telling me statistically verifiable evidence that in one hour a week, I can change the trajectory of a seventh grade young man's life? He goes, without question, absolutely. I mean, think about that, man. And then, and then all of our friends will go, dude, I'm so busy, man. I got stuff. And then we find out, yeah, you were up like six hours last night playing war games with a bunch of guys in Latin America, you know? I mean, come on, man. You yeah. know, let's get real about this stuff. You can't take, you, can't take, you know, uh, 60 minutes and change the future of the world. Wow. And yet you're going to complain about Trump or Biden or Clinton or or uh, Newsom or whoever. QAnon, these people that get into those weird conspiracies. Come on, man. Time. I don't care if you're Antifa, QAnon, whatever. You're, yeah, you're complaining about all this crap, but, you know, give me 60 minutes. Give with a young man and help him identify, you know, the greatness that's inside of him. The role of a father, I believe, is to reach in the side of a young man, a young woman, to reach into their heart, pull it out their destiny and show it to them, man. Say this, this is why you're on the earth. This is the greatness that you can be. And then to have the grace to walk alongside of them and not kill them. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, Paul, the apostle wrote uh, to the church at Corinth again. He said, man, I love you guys like a dad loves you. I love you like a father. And then he had to sort of reframe that so that they would understand what that meant, Rob. And he said, you, you know, you have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. 
And what he meant, Rob, was this. You have, you have thousands of people. You have, an instructor will give you what he knows, but a father gives you who he is. You know, you watch, you watch a, an instructor with his kid out there on a soccer field playing football, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I taught him that. Oh, that move? I taught him that. He didn't do it that well. But, but a dad looking out there on a soccer field is like, hey, that's my kid, man. He's awesome. Look at her. Look at, way she moved. Look at the way she moved it to the other side of the field so fast and reversed the field. Look at the way she did that. So I'm saying that the dad is not first looking for critical things. The dad's first looking for where can I find the places I love this child with all my heart? Changes your whole view of God, really. God the Father, man. There you go. Coming back to that, right? Yeah. So... What do you think the greatest threat is right now to the, the nuclear family? Is it is it just the hookup culture, or I mean, I know Black Lives Matter even had their, that in their part of their mission statement. I want to say is one of their, uh, you know, what's, what's one of the biggest issues? Yeah, what do you think the biggest issue is? The biggest. Well, I think first of all, it's it's even calling it nuclear family, because that's a term that got designed in order to be able to redefine other types of family mm, okay so i think families is family right and so i think that uh, definitions are really huge rob and you, you know this because you deal with it all the time and what you allow when you allow somebody to define a word you've allowed them to create the conversation and whoever creates the conversation creates the culture so the definition of the words, I'll give you a word that's real big in my life, and it, it's big right now, facing some storms, right? And it's the word peace. The definition in the world, if you look it up, it says the absence of conflict or the absence of storms, the absence of war. I'm at peace. You know, I'm in a meadow, and it's flowers and butterflies, whatever. But that's not the definition of peace that, that Jesus gave us in the second covenant. He said, I'm with you always, even in the middle of your chaos. So the definition of peace is a follower of Christ that makes, that makes me want to stay there in that pocket to be a passionate follower of Jesus. It's because he said, listen, you know what my peace is? My peace is my presence, even in the middle of a storm even in the middle of chaos. You know, it's Psalm 23 is, is a song that a lot of people have on their refrigerator or saw it on their grandmother's refrigerator growing up, you know, or a little doily on the, you know, on the wall. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil. And I think the thing is, it's not the valley of death, it's a shadow of death. And I think that shadow is disappointment, or discouragement. I think that's the shadow. And a disappointment's not based on where you are. It's based on where you're expected to be, right? Like I expected to have this together. I expected this to happen. I really expected my app to sell for like $80 million. I can't even get anybody to look at it, whatever the thing may be. And then we get disappointed. And I think those storms and disappointment and discouragement and the stuff that's normal to life, Jesus says, I'm in the middle of that. I'm not waiting for you to get your act together for us to get together. I'm here when you don't have your act together. I'm still the God who, the father who passionately loves you. 
Yeah. That, that disappointment piece, that was from your book, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I put that in the book. Yeah, because we, we all deal with it. I think it's one of the biggest distractions to humankind is disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, it distracts us, gets us, gets us off track. We don't go out, we don't write the book. We don't do the stuff. That's why I appreciate you, Rob, because like doing a podcast is not easy. Prepping is not easy. Writing a book is even harder. Doing the stuff you do, like you got to get up in the morning. You got to go, I'm doing this. <laughs> you know? you got to be really clear about your vision. That's for sure. Yeah, there's nobody kicking your butt. You know, it's like, man, you got to do this thing. And that's why I have great admiration for what you do, Rob, and appreciate the fact that you put yourself out there and you're like, okay, here's what I believe. And I'm going to put it on YouTube. And then I'm going to leave the comments open. <laughs> I get, to, I get to talk to awesome people like you. So I'm, I'm pretty grateful. I'm grateful that God still is allowed, you know, not even allowed, that God is using me. Because in my mind, somehow I still think, shouldn't he be disqualified from doing some of this? But that's not the way it works with him. So. We're all disqualified, dude. Right? Yeah. right? 100%. We were all disqualified. Romans 5 says, even in our disqualification, God loved us. And the reason Jesus came was to qualify the disqualified. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, what translation is that? Oh, it's my translation of Romans. <laughs> I heard, I heard uh, your dad say something I wanted to ask you about. He said something, the five sins that kept the Israelites out of the promised land, yeah. the same five sins keeping men from reaching their full potential now. And two of those things that he mentioned were lust and sexual sin. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's a hot topic for me. How important do you think sexual purity is for men? specifically uh, to reach their full potential and why? You know, uh, the Bible says that sexual sin is a sin against your own body, and it has a little different connotation. I think it's a, I think it's a real hook for a lot of guys, and I mean that in the sense I'm a fisherman. So I think it's like, I think it's this thing that can grab guys and hold them back from everything God desires them to be. I, I don't think, let me put it this way. I don't think it's the unpardonable sin. There's a thing in the Bible in the second covenant and it gets hammered a lot. If you grow up in, in a Catholic parish or a evangelical church, the unpardonable sin, don't, don't be that guy that walks away from God. And dude, I'm thinking if anybody was going to get thumped and just killed by God, it would have been Jonah. Mm. Jonah you're is this you. guy in the old Testament. He's this judge. In fact, there's a book written with his name on it. And he's the guy that was swallowed by the whale. If nobody knows, if you don't know the Bible story, the guy swallowed by fish. Bottom line is this. I'll just give a real recap. This guy is, is a prophet, and he's supposed to tell Israel what God says. Like, he talks to God. Like, this guy talks directly with God. And, and then he tells the people. And that's his, he's got one job. It's like those memes, right? You have one job. It's one job. God tells him stuff. He tells the people. And uh, Rob, God tells him, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that if they'll turn to me, and it's a real city, this really happened, right? It's a real city. At the time that this happened, it's the, it's the wealthiest city on the face of the, of the earth. Wow. You can go look it up. They're like 150 years, they were the wealthiest city in the world. It was 150,000 like pirates. It's just what they were. And uh, Jonah, Jonah's like, God, I don't think that's a good idea. And God says, no, I want you to go do that. And Jonah says, I'm not going to do it. Now, if anybody's going to get just killed for being disobedient, right? 
Wouldn't it be the guy who talked directly to God? And went the other direction. <laughs> went the other way. And then he tries to commit suicide. Big storm comes up. He tells the guys, hey, it's my fault. Throw me overboard. Might as so he tries to commit suicide. And the reason the fish is there, you know, he got swallowed by a whale. I was taught when I was a kid, Rob, hey, if you screw up, God will send a whale to eat your butt. And that's not why the whale was there. Jonah tries to commit suicide, says, hey, throw me overboard. God sends a fish to save his life. The fish swallows him. He's three days in it because that's how long it takes to swim from where he was to Nineveh. He prays, repents. God puts him through. It says he spits him out, vomits him. So this picture of the fish, again, it's the old guy with the stick. God will get you if you screw up. But the, but the evidence is that God doesn't do that. What he does is he says, hey, I'm going to walk with you as long as it takes to walk with you until you catch this thing. And Jonah, swallowed by, tries to commit suicide. So the fish is God's mercy. And then the vomiting, putting him in back in Nineveh, put him right back into his destiny and said, I will still use you. I'm still, in fact, I'm still going to make you what you were supposed to be, a prophet. Jonah still has issues with it. But God's grace is so big, Rob. Put him back in this. Okay, so back on sexual sin. I think that's the deal. I think sometimes we're like, man, I messed up. And, and the enemy uses that as a hammer, like accusation. You know, and the thing about temptation that we have to realize, the essence of temptation is it's tempting. You, so, you know, some guys go, yeah, I don't have a problem with sexual temptation. You know, well, what is your deal? Well, you know, greed or, uh, you know, jealousy right. or, uh, you know, there's a bunch of stuff, right? So it doesn't, and so and now this is really fascinating to me, Rob, and uh, I want to get into this uh, lust and sexual sin. There are two different things. That's why it's interesting. That it's part of the five. Lust is actually an attitude of the heart. And what lust is, is selfishness. Mm -hmm. Lust is the desire to benefit myself, even at your expense, because lust desires to get. I want what my, see, that's the problem in a lot of marriages where the guy goes, Hey, I want what I want my needs met. Right. Hey dude, how about being, you know, like Christ laying down your life being sacrificial because out of that will come your needs being met. It always happens. That's good. So love is the desire to benefit you. Even at my expense, God so loved the world that he gave. So love always has the aspect of giving. Lust always has the aspect of wanting more. Sensational. So sexual sin would be differentiated in that, um, in that it's actually the physical act or uh, sexual act issues with that. I just, I, I don't see, uh, you know, God's not sending somebody to hell because of that. But he is saying, you know what? You can live a better life. You can live your best life right? Yeah. That's yeah. funny. I that story about Jonah. When I got saved 21 years ago, I didn't know the Bible hardly at all, but I knew that story. And yeah. I, God clearly called me. He, he, you know, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He told me some things about my life. They, they were scary, actually. They weren't good things, uh, at least one of them. And um, I, I almost ran. Like, I literally thought I could run and just run from it. 
run from him. And I knew that story. And I, that's what kept me from doing it. Cause I was like, something, if I run something bad, is going to happen to me. So I might as well just take it. But um, I think about what you said, even with sexual sin and the guilt and the shame. I, I was having an interesting thought today. I was thinking about Robbie Zacharias, you yeah. know, cause I had lunch with a pastor today and he was telling me about, and I don't know the story that well. He was, he was actually filling me in on, yeah, some yeah. massage parlors and they found some like pictures and, yep. I, and I was like, can you imagine the guilt that that guy was living with? Because here he's, you know, out front and he's got this secret sin and it, it must've plagued him, you know, it must, it couldn't have been good for him. He must've been tormented. Yeah. Carrying guilt around. Hey, yeah. here's the, but that's fascinating, you know, guilt and shame, uh, guilt, guilt is, um, you know, when, when I'm guilty, it's because of something I did. Shame is deeper because deeper is it's my identity. Right. That's good. It's not just something I did. It's who I am. Yeah. And I think that that he lived in a shame that caused him. You know, if you if you study the way he, he was writing all the time, he was going places, he was speaking. I think he's trying to work out. And I don't know, man. I mean, I was around him a few times and I've read all the stuff, studied it, know a lot of mutual friends. And basically even the mutual friends who were close to him were shocked by the stuff that happened. If you don't know who he was, he was a well-known evangelical writer who was a uh, theologian who really uh, was a defender of of the faith, if you will. And um, Indian background, brilliant guy. And then he dies, cancer. And then after he passes away, these people come out and it's all proven stuff now that he was uh, going to massage parlors and uh, had, you know, had an issue, right? Had a problem, had an addiction. And you wonder if he wasn't just driven by the, the shame piece trying to overcome it. Right. And I think that, that uh, it ought to be a good picture for all of us that deal with that stuff. And I think that, that, uh, if you'll go back and look at some of his friends and talk to his buddies, he probably never talked about it to anybody. Yeah. See, and that's what you've helped people with Rob is you help people with, Hey, get into a family, get into a community. And if you got some stuff, you know, the best way to disarm shame is to reveal it. Right. You're hundred percent. Yeah. And you've done that talking about your past, talking about the stuff you came out of, you know, showing photos, you know, of you. Of course, some of that I think is just because you were looking pretty cut, but <laughs> probably. I would, I would that. But you know what I'm saying? It's like you go, okay, I'm just going to totally disarm this. Uh, you can't get me with this because I'm putting it out there. Yeah. Now it's no longer a hook. You can't get me with it. Did you ever see the movie Eight Mile? Oh yeah, yeah. When Eminem comes out at the end, and he basically takes all the bullets out of the other guy's gun. Yeah, and that really is when you can get in front of it and talk about it. The devil can't use it against you anymore. Oh man, so, so good, Rob. Yeah, and it's it's biblical. You know, the word says, "Confess your sins one to another, pray for each other, you might be healed." So, if you're hiding it, you're never going to get over it. Yeah, and I think he, I think it has to be community, and you have to know it's a safe community. Yeah, there has to be some. You know, if you're going to share something that's you know, if you were abused when you were five or six years old and you've never been able to share that, I think you have to make sure you know that it's a safe place, right? Yeah. I don't think you just show up at a thing and just go, hey, here's the deal. Because there's some people who just don't know how to handle that. Right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
They don't know what to do with it. They don't, I don't know what to do with it. You know, be with people that you know. Uh, my dad one time, he said this. He said, uh, he said, there are some things you need to just drive out to the desert, find a jackrabbit, and just confess everything to the rabbit. And then shoot the rabbit. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, we're two minutes over, but I wanted to ask you before I let you go, what are you excited about? What are you working on that really excites you? Right hey, I'm fired up, you know, uh, as we do this uh, podcast right now, uh, the last couple of nights in our studios here in Fort Worth, we did a live broadcast into um, in the Vietnam mm -hmm. training pastors. And we had uh, almost 2000 pastors registered at sites all across Vietnam. I had some of the leading pastors in the United States come in and speak and just training how to disciple young men, how to disciple young ladies, uh, how to set up a, you know, an environment of uh, raising up leaders, how to change the nation. And so our goal is to do that in the 50 most dangerous nations in the world over the next five years. Wow. So I'm pretty fired up about that because here's what I think is going to come out of it. I think we're going to, uh, my faith and hope and belief is that we raise up five to 10 million dads who change the way they father their kids. Love it. Yeah. Come on, man. I mean, think about millions of children whose dads change. Yeah. Well, I, I read a stat today in your magazine. Uh, where is it? It's around there somewhere. Christian Men's Network. Oh, you probably already threw it away, man. No, no, I got it. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah, it's actually here. It is right here. Look at that. <laughs> Right there it is. Right, uh, 93% chance that a family will get uh, will come to Christ if the father gets saved. Yeah. Versus yeah. 17, only 17% for the mother, which is fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, true stats. These are stats that, you know, you talk about Billy Graham and, and all of that. This goes back to their studies back in the late 50s, and it's been pulled forward in the stats, always remain the same. It's part of like the Ingle scale, all these things, how many touches before somebody becomes a follower of Christ. You know, the deal is, man, if you could live your life shame-free, why would you not do that? Yeah. Why would you not pick up Rob's book? Why would you not listen to the podcast, put it on your, like, subscribe thing? Why would you not do that stuff if you knew that the end result is six months from now, a year from now, I'm going to be more whole. I'm going to be happier about being alive. I'm going to be a uh, stronger person. I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to have kindness, you know, inked on my hand. I'm going to do it. You know, why would you not do that if you knew that shame would begin to recede from your life? I'm not saying, you know, I mean, I know sometimes people are healed overnight. Stuff happens, bam. But I know a lot of stuff that's happened in my life, Rob, has been a process. Same. So I'm committed to that process. And I still am, man, because I got a lot of stuff still. Amen to that. Same. So where's the best places to find you? I know we got cmn.net. Is it .net? cmn.men. Dot, .men. That's right. Yeah. Christian Men's Network. cmn.men. And I'll put that and, link below. And everything's there. Yeah, everything's there. Tools to for churches to resource, to disciple uh, men in particular. I mean, that's our that's our sweet spot, man. That's 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 the the uh, big large part of the bat right there. So check it out, Brave Men Podcast. If you listen to it, make sure you subscribe with a five-star review. You can find Paul on Instagram also. I think, is it Paul Lewis Cole? Yeah, Paul Lewis Cole. L-O-U-I-S. And uh, yeah, definitely. 
I mean, it's important what you're doing. Would you mind praying us out? Praying yeah, for man. Us. Hey, Father, I thank you for Rob, and I thank you for uh, his stand for righteousness, and I speak blessing over him right now, and every single one of our friends who have listened to this and been a part of this, I speak wholeness and life and freedom, and, and Father, that their dreams will come alive. I speak Psalm 37 over them, that as they commit their lives to you, you will give them the desires of their heart, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I receive it. Thank you, Paul. Good hanging with you, Rob. You're awesome, man. Oh, you're awesome. Thanks for coming on. Welcome to episode 44 of Kowalski Analysis. I'm your host, Rob Kowalski. Thanks for tuning in, whether you're watching or listening. I appreciate you stopping by. Um, tonight, we have on a great guest, a guy named Paul Lewis Cole. He's actually a doctor of theology. He's a noted speaker pastor he's author of one of the world's let's try that again sorry welcome to episode 44 of kowalski analysis i'm your host rob kowalski and tonight on the show i have a guy named paul lewis cole he's actually a doctor of theology he's a noted speaker pastor author and one of the world's foremost experts on men's issues paul is an award-winning media producer director but his passion is carrying a message of christ-like manhood to the world by presiding over Christian Men's Network. He has conducted seminars on wisdom, parenting, and manhood in over 70 nations. Begun by his father, Edwin, Edwin Lewis Cole, Christian Men's Network and its new outreach, the Global Fatherhood Initiative, helps pastors build strong men, strong families, and strong churches in over 100 nations. Paul's mission is to rescue families, defeat father, fatherlessness, and end child abuse by providing leadership tools and strategies to bring a clear and defining word to men. So it's going to be an awesome talk. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to go ahead and share my screen. I want to give a shout out to my sponsor, uh, Micah Hughes. And uh, as you can see, Micah has uh, been a longtime supporter of mine. He's been a longtime City Fan member. And Micah does everything real estate. So whether you want to buy, sell, uh, invest in real estate, Micah is your guy. He is a passionate um, follower of Jesus, uh, whether that, hopefully that's a good thing to you, but he, he really loves what he does and he considered it, considers it his, his ministry, uh, is helping people that are interested in getting into real estate. He really cares about people and he will take good care of you, of you if you call him. So uh, give Micah a call at 443-532-8450 or you can email him and I'll put his uh, email address below. So with no further ado, let's get into... Uh, show. Sure. 